Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Well, for those keeping track, this is officially the launch of the second season of the Vitamin C Podcast. Now, does that actually mean anything? No, not at all, especially a podcast like this. I didn't even take a break in between because movies are still releasing, so what break is there for me to take? I can't take a break. But that just signifies that this podcast has now gone for a full year. The movie that I decided to talk about to finish my year on the Vitamin C podcast was The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you have not listened to the episode, then just go back and listen to the latest one released before this one. But to launch this new year, I am talking all about the new sci-fi movie, The Creator directed by Gareth Edwards. So this is a movie that I remember when it was first announced a few years ago. I believe it was early 2020 that I first saw anything said about it. And I was excited because I saw a few people in the cast, namely, I saw John David Washington was in the cast, and I saw that it was directed by Gareth Edwards. And Gareth Edwards happens to be a guy that I would say I'm a fan of. I can't say I'm a diehard because I've only seen a few of his movies and I really only liked one of them more than a little bit. So he directed the 2014 Godzilla movie with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Bryan Cranston. It also stars Elizabeth Olsen, but most people were watching at the time for Bryan Cranston, who... I didn't really care about one way or the other because I had never seen Malcolm in the Middle and I had never watched a single episode of Breaking Bad at that point. I was just seeing it because it looked like a cool kaiju movie. It gave me Pacific Rim vibes because of how Godzilla looked. And the first teaser to it was really, really cool. And I'll say that I like that movie. I like it quite a bit. I haven't rewatched it in a very long time, but I remember thinking that Brian Cranston just crushed that role, even though he's not in the movie a whole lot. He's only in like the first 30 minutes. But I remember thinking that he was great and that the movie itself was a pretty unique approach to a Godzilla story. And I thought Godzilla was pretty cool in the movie too. I liked how he looked. And from a visual effects perspective, a sound design perspective, they nailed it. One of the only complaints that anyone could have had about the movie would have been, A, that it was a little bit dull. And that's because, yes, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character is not the most interesting, but I liked his character enough. And the other complaint that somebody might have is that visually it's too dark and murky or muddy. It's kind of hard to see sometimes, even though it looks good. It is hard to see during points of the movie. And I believe that was intentional because they wanted it to be difficult to see Godzilla until the third act of the movie. But in the 4K remaster, everything is much more clear and vivid in color. So that makes me think that maybe they rethought the way they did it visually when they remastered it, or maybe the way it turned out initially was a little bit darker than what they had wanted originally. But then Gareth Edwards did Rogue One. And when I say he did Rogue One, I mean he sort of did Rogue One. He had shot pretty much all of the movie, and then he got fired late into production and replaced by Tony Gilroy, who ended up getting director's credit for the movie and writing credit, and he went on to do the TV series Andor. 
I'm realizing I was actually mistaken. Gareth Edwards did get director's credit on Rogue One, but Tony Gilroy gets talked about more and even got the TV series spinoff of Rogue One. So that was why I had confused it. But it was originally Gareth Edwards' movie, and whatever released was not exactly what he had intended. Even though there are a few members of the cast that said that the movie didn't change dramatically after he was replaced, I always have a hard time believing that, especially with a studio like Disney, where a lot of people have signed NDAs and they're kind of in a chokehold as to what they can and cannot say. And Disney, especially Lucasfilm, has a horrible track record of screwing directors over. There's so many that they have fired before production even began, and then quite a few that were either fired mid-production or given ultimatums during production that caused them to make drastic changes to stories and or characters in their films. And I don't have time to get into all that, but for that reason, I'm always a little hesitant to call Rogue One, a Star Wars story, a Gareth Edwards film. Even though it looks like one of his movies and it feels like one of his movies, I don't know how true to his original vision it actually is. And quite frankly, this is a very unpopular opinion. I don't like Rogue One. I really don't. I only watched it the one time and I just remember being kind of bored and at the end thinking that it was a pretty dull movie. I like the idea behind it and I like the style to it. It's a little gritty. It's a little different than your average Star Wars story. And in tone and visual style, it does look and feel like a Gareth Edwards film. But if there's one thing that you could critique him for, it's that his characters can be a little bit flat. And I would say that is absolutely the case in Rogue One, that it has some of the most flat and boring characters in the entire Star Wars universe. And for that reason, I just don't care for the movie. Even though it's got a great cast, even though it has a very interesting story or a very interesting angle to the story they decide to tell, and it looks great. The score, I don't remember it, but I'm sure the score was good. It's got that Vader scene at the end, which yes, it's a cool Vader scene, but I just did not care about any of the characters. So in the third act, when everybody's dying and it's this big dramatic finale, I just didn't feel anything. The Vader scene was cool, but it's cool because I like Darth Vader. And yes, they made him look cool in the movie for sure, but I don't know how much that scene would have moved me if this was my first exposure to Star Wars, if this was my first movie seeing Darth Vader. I don't know if this movie would have made me feel anything. They kind of gave him like this Michael Myers-esque approach though, which Michael Myers is on my mind 24-7 right now because I'm re-watching all the Halloween movies as you will all hear about soon on this podcast. But I'll just say, yeah, I did not care for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I thought it was okay. And for me to walk out of a Star Wars movie and have no desire to rewatch it, that kind of says a lot because I've rewatched most of them. Even Rise of Skywalker, I watched a few times just to give it a fair shake. Because my first viewing, I went, what the hell was that? And I saw it with my best friend and my best friend's like, dude, I think that's top five Star Wars. And I wouldn't commit to calling it good, but I said, yeah, I guess they had some interesting ideas, but I couldn't shake the feeling that the movie was off. There was something not quite right about the movie. And then on rewatch, I went, yeah, this isn't that good. And then I gave it one more viewing, probably a month after it came out, where I said, okay, I'll give it one last shot in a premium format and see what I think. And by the end, I was thinking, yeah, this is not very good. 
I can tell there was a lot that happened behind the scenes during production. And sure enough, I'm not the most well-connected individual, but I do have some connections, some people that know stuff. I mutually follow a couple Hollywood producers. And when I say producers, I mean some pretty big names. And then a couple Hollywood writers. And I know a few other people that work behind the scenes on movies where they know people and they tell me stuff. So I don't always have the best scoop on everything, but I do know a lot about some of these movies that I can't ever repeat some of it because they would know where it came from. But I'll just say Rise of Skywalker got worked over like crazy. And so when people blame J.J. Abrams or Chris Terrio for that movie, I just roll my eyes because anything wrong with that movie is absolutely not their fault at all. But anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked. The point I was getting at is that when people are fired from Star Wars productions, I don't always know who exactly is at fault, but I tend to lean in favor of the creator not being at fault of these movies, the director not being the blame. And what they said about Rogue One is that there were no drastic changes made, that they just tightened up the script a little bit because Gareth Edwards' movie was apparently a good half hour to 45 minutes longer. And I'm always thinking, how could you not have drastically changed the story if you made it that much shorter? But after watching this new movie of his, The Creator, I could kind of see where something like that could have been done with this movie. And so I say, maybe Rogue One, it was not too different. I'm not saying for sure, because Lucasfilm has a ton of blame that they deserve for a lot of their productions over the years. And frankly, everyone loves Rogue One but me. So I'm in the minority on that one anyway. As far as anyone's concerned, it's a great Gareth Edwards movie. But for me, when I talk about Gareth Edwards, I like to talk about Godzilla more than Rogue One, because Godzilla I know is his. But yeah, I watched this movie, The Creator, which is a movie I've been excited for because, as I said, I think Gareth Edwards is a talented director, and I'm always a fan of original sci-fi stories. And based on the trailer to this movie, the visuals looked amazing. I love John David Washington, who is the star of this movie. I thought the story it was presenting had some interesting ideas, and I was looking forward to seeing those be explored on screen. And then I found out that Hans Zimmer was the composer for this movie, so I was very, very excited. And then the first reactions came out to this movie, and they were overwhelmingly positive. Now, I didn't go out looking for reviews, and I was actually surprised after seeing the movie to see what reviews actually were saying because I ignored Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. I was just seeing all the reviews that were being retweeted onto my timeline, or I should say reposted because it's no longer Twitter. It is now X because Elon is a marketing genius. (laughs) I mean that absolutely sarcastically, by the way. But I saw all these reviews being reposted and they were saying that the creator is one of the best movies of the year. That is one of the best sci-fi movies of the decade. One of the best original sci-fi films since a bunch of other movies that they kept naming. I was seeing it be compared to District 9, to Blade Runner, and a few other hit sci-fi movies. And so I thought, okay, I'm really excited for this. I already thought it was going to be a high quality movie, but now I'm hyped. And another thing was that I found out that the budget for this movie was like 70 or 80 million, which is really, really impressive considering a lot of other movies that came out this year, like The Flash, for example, had a $300 million budget. Now, part of that for The Flash is because they had several director changes before production even started. 
and then writing changes and things like that. And they had reshoots during the movie because management changed at WB like two different times during the production of this movie. So rewrites and reshoots were very necessary. And then release dates changed as well, where the Flash released before another movie that it was supposed to release after, so it caused them to tweak the ending. So the Flash's budget ballooned for that reason. But even if the Flash was a $200 million movie, the creator was made for like a third of that. So it's very, very impressive that based on the trailer, it looked very high quality. And I thought, well, yeah, that's what happens when you have competent directors in the director's chair. Even Ant-Man Quantumania, I dump on this movie all the time, dude. But it sucks so bad. It's so freaking bad. Visually, it's horrendous. The story itself, eh, I guess it's interesting. I don't know. I just remember being disgusted by how it looked visually. It looked worse than Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And Sharkboy and Lava Girl came out like 20 years ago, dude. But Ant-Man Quantumania had a huge budget. It looked awful, horrendous. The visual effects were disgusting. And I thought, yes, that's partially because they are overworking these VFX artists, but it's also because these directors that they are hiring for big blockbusters at several studios do not know how to shoot these big visual effects, action scenes, and things like that. So it makes it that much harder for visual effects artists to make these shots look any good, to make them look presentable. But Gareth Edwards is one of those directors that understands how to light shots, how to frame shots, and it helps that he had a up-and-coming cinematographer with him as well. There are actually two cinematographers on this movie. There is Greg Frazier, who a lot of people will know from doing Dune and The Batman, and then there's Oren Soffer, who is a guy that I'm not too familiar with, but he's sort of an up-and-coming guy, apparently. But visually, the movie looks great. And another reason, by the way, that I think Gareth Edwards has such a good visual eye is because he was formerly a visual effects artist, which is not too different than Joseph Kaczynski, who was a visual effects artist in some form or another before he ended up doing Tron Legacy and then Oblivion, Only the Brave, Top Gun Maverick. Kaczynski is one of my other favorite guys, as some of you may know. But yeah, some directors just know what looks good. James Cameron is one of those guys where he knows what looks good, and that's why he's one of the greatest of all time. Zack Snyder is one of those guys. Michael Bay is one of those guys. There's a reason I rave about some of these unpopular directors from time to time. It's because there is an actual talent in having movies look good. And so I always admire when a movie looks good visually because, one, film is a visual medium. That is the first way that you can possibly engage with a movie is visually. They used to have silent films where maybe there were some piano keys going and stuff, but there was no dialogue. There would be the occasional, not title cards, but things that would pop up on screen that would have a bit of dialogue here and there. But largely, it was all visual. It was all physical acting and all how shots were framed and things like that. So, for example, if you went back to watch Nosferatu, which was, what, 1922? You would find that it's not a movie driven by dialogue. It's not driven by storytelling. Even though it's telling a good story, it is all about the direction. And so that's why me, personally, I put so much emphasis into that because it is not easy to do. By the way, another director that pops into my head is J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams has a great visual eye. He knows how to make stuff look good. All of his movies look amazing. 
So I'm always going to shout that out. And that's something I appreciated start to finish in The Creator is that it only had a 70 or $80 million budget. But if you had told me that the movie cost $150, $200 million, I would have believed it because it looked that good. And I'm actually impressed that they were able to do that with that budget because it kind of reminds me of what Neil Blomkamp has done with some of his movies like Chappie and District 9, where they are good-looking sci-fi movies that didn't have these massive budgets, or even Alex Garland with Ex Machina and Annihilation. It takes real talent behind the camera to do that, and I will always shout that out. But as far as this movie goes, because I haven't really talked a whole lot about it yet, and so I don't want to waste too much of your time, I want to talk about this movie as much as I can. I'm not going to spoil anything necessarily, but this is the synopsis of the movie. It says, as a future war between the human race and artificial intelligence rages on, ex-special forces agent Joshua is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator, the elusive architect of advanced AI. The creator has developed a mysterious weapon that has the power to end the war and all of mankind. As Joshua and his team of elite operatives venture into enemy-occupied territory, they soon discover the world-ending weapon is actually an AI in the form of a young child. So yeah, John David Washington plays the lead in this movie, and there's something that happens in the opening scene that kind of makes him distrusting of the people that he works for, but he is one of the people that was fighting back against artificial intelligence, and they established right away that AI was assimilated into our culture, that at first they were just helping out around the house, and then they started to take positions in different Industries, for example, there were some working in hospitals. They had a fully AI police force. And that was how things were going until one day there was a nuclear strike or nuclear detonation in Los Angeles and almost a million lives were taken. And they said it was done by the AIs. And for that reason, every single country banned artificial intelligence and ban these robots, or I believe they call them simulants in this movie, but they were entirely outlawed. And the only place that they were given refuge was Eastern Asia, which is where the creator is apparently still doing work with artificial intelligence. And so their whole mission is to find this creator, kill this creator, and prevent, in the end, annihilation. Because artificial intelligence is dangerous. In the end, evolution would kind of win out where artificial intelligence would be running the whole world if they decided to. And so that is the fear of the government in this movie. And that's why they have this whole military force dedicated to finding this creator, destroying the creator, and destroying the last of the artificial intelligence because it is a major threat to humanity. But they end up finding this facility that apparently the ultimate super weapon is being developed by the creator. But when they go there, Joshua, who is John David Washington's character, the lead of this movie, discovers that this super weapon is just a kid. And he kind of hesitates to kill the kid. He understands his mission, his objective, but he's not just going to kill a kid right away. Even though it's artificial intelligence, even though it's not necessarily quote unquote real. But there's also the fact that this kid has the ability to take him to somebody that he wants to see, which will pertain to the opening scene of the movie. And I just don't want to spoil anything because 
There are a couple plot twists in this movie that may not be obvious to everyone right away. I kind of saw one coming and then the other one I totally saw coming from a mile away. But I don't want to ruin anyone's viewing experience. I'll just say that this kid is one, just a kid. And Joshua is not a murderer. He's not some guy that just wants to kill a little AI kid. But it's also that this kid happens to know where somebody is that he is trying to find. But because of this, he ends up being on the run with this kid the whole movie. And he names the kid Alfie because their unit number or whatever was like Alpha something something. But he just calls the girl Alfie. And what I can say is that, yes, I'm a fan of John David Washington. I especially loved him in Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet, even though that's not necessarily controversial to say, but a lot of people that were mixed on Tenet thought that he was boring. And I never found that at all. I thought he was a really good lead. I think some people are just comparing him to his dad too much, and he's not his dad, because of course he is the son of Denzel Washington. Occasionally, he'll remind me of his father, but they have different personalities. They have different ways of performing. So I think it's kind of unfair to compare the two. But what I'll say is that I really liked his character in this movie because one, he cracked me up at quite a few points. He has a few funny lines. But also because I get it. I get his motivations in this movie and I understand the decisions that he makes throughout the movie. And so he's somebody that I'm kind of rooting for. And of course, with the AI kid, she's a cute kid. She's kind of funny at a few points. There are a few things that they do in the movie that provide some funny moments. And it's the type of stuff you would expect in real life where it's a kid repeating something their mom or dad said. And it's something that probably the mom or dad would not want them to repeat. And Alfie does that at a couple different points. And it's super funny. There are also a couple moments where it's almost like this father-daughter reaction where he's trying to get her in the car and she doesn't want to go in the car and different things like that. And so there are moments of humor sprinkled throughout the movie. It's not totally intense and serious from start to finish. And I give props both to John David Washington for that and then also Madeline Voiles, who plays Alfie. I think they both do a very good job in this film. There are a few other actors in this movie, like Ken Watanabe, who is good in this film. I never feel like any movie has enough Ken Watanabe in it. Like any movie he's in, he's always in it for just like 10 to 15 minutes, and he's always really solid in those 10 to 15 minutes, but he rarely gets anything more than that. But as far as the actual story of this movie goes, I'll say that I thought it was a cool idea for a story, and I thought, honestly, about... 20 minutes into the movie, in my head, I was thinking, oh, this is about to be an all-timer. This is about to be one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen. And then by the end, I had kind of cooled off on it. And a big reason is just that I feel like it could have been cut down a little bit. The movie came out to two hours and 17 minutes. I think it should have been about two hours flat. And I'm not a guy who complains about run times or anything like that. I'm about to watch in a couple weeks, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a three and a half hour movie. So trust me, I appreciate longer movies, but there are definitely times where movies overstay their welcome, where they don't have any business being the runtime that they are. And in this case, I was thinking about it and I thought, okay, this is a movie where John David Washington's character is on the run with this AI girl and people are hunting them and they're going place to place while they're being hunted. 
And I've seen a few movies similar to this, but none of those movies are over two hours. And if they're over two hours, they're barely over two hours. This was a whole 15, 20 minutes over two hours, and it felt about 15 minutes too long. Because the big thing, when you're on the run in a movie, it requires you to constantly change your location, which means new characters at different locations. And in this case, they mostly use the same characters at each location, but they do go place to place throughout this movie because they're constantly on the run. And I think when a movie puts you in too many different locations, introduces you to too many different characters, it starts to feel a bit bloated because you keep wondering where exactly the movie's going or where it's ending. It's not as tightly written and it's not as well paced as it could be if you have too much in there. I talked last week about the movie The Expendables 4, which was not a good movie. And one complaint I had about that is that there were really only two set locations in the movie. There was the opening action scene that took place at some desert military compound. And then the next location they go to is this aircraft carrier where the rest of the movie takes place. And so really there were only two locations where things happened in the movie and a few spots in between for just dialogue scenes. But it was just two locations and it felt like the movie was incomplete. But then on the other hand, you have this movie where they are going place to place to place throughout the movie because they're on the run. But I feel like there was maybe one place too many, one location too many, that there was at least one spot that could have been cut out. I don't know how, but I feel like something could have been cut down and saved about 10 to 15 minutes from this movie. And it would have bumped up my score on it a whole half star probably. I'll also say that it doesn't really properly address some of the concerns about artificial intelligence in this movie because I'm watching it and I'm thinking, yeah, no, this kid is actually super dangerous, even though she's a really nice kid. If she was raised by AIs that hated humans, that could be really bad because she is very powerful and her power is only going to continue to grow. But it doesn't really address the concerns of artificial intelligence in this film. It kind of just makes it where it's bad to kill this AI kid and the robots or the simulants, they just want to live in peace and harmony with humanity. And thinking, yeah, but if they really are just like people, then you'll have the full spectrum. You'll have good ones and bad ones. And if they're bad ones and they end up being the more powerful, the dominant species, if you will then that could spell an end for humanity. But this movie doesn't really address it in that way. It makes it where that thought process is kind of barbaric and wrong. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't really agree with killing an AI kid, but at the same time, some of these concerns are valid. I don't love how the military in this movie goes about what they do, but I think that some of the concerns are valid. And this movie doesn't really dive into that. I also had a thought during the movie where I said, this feels like a Neil Blomkamp movie. And then once it ended, I looked on Letterboxd and one of my buddies had actually reviewed the movie and said something similar. He said something like, Neil Blomkamp's probably punching air watching this movie, something like that. And it's because it felt a lot like a Neil Blomkamp movie, which is why I thought it was interesting that Neil Blomkamp's movies have been getting killed by critics for the last 10 years. Pretty much everything post-District 9 people have hated on from Neil Blomkamp. But then I watched this movie and I said, well, this has a similar visual style to Neil Blomkamp's movies. And it's a very similar story to the type of story that Neil Blomkamp would tell. So I thought that was kind of interesting. 
And by the way, it might feel like I'm trashing on this movie. I'm not. I enjoyed the movie largely. I think it just got a little bit bloated by the end. I'll give props though that Gareth Edwards has his own unique style. I love the visuals of this movie and he's kind of found a way to make these old school war movies into these big sci-fi stories because Rogue One was portrayed sort of like a war movie, more or less. And then this movie very much is a sci-fi war movie. And I would say even his Godzilla movie has elements of a war movie as well. So I think that 70s, 80s war movies have had a strong influence on his filmography thus far. And I think that's cool for sure. And I think that this is a cool idea for a story. I just don't think the execution was flawless. So I get why people are comparing it to other great sci-fi movies. I just don't know if I would put it up there on the pantheon of great sci-fi movies over the last decade or so. Another thing that I'll note is that this movie has a few needle drops and there are a couple that I think are really cool and they work really well and they're awesome. And then there are a few that I don't want to say they took me out of the movie, but they didn't really fit the scenes too well, where it made certain scenes that should have been maybe a little more intense, a little too lighthearted and fun. And I don't really understand why they did it that way. And when I say there were a few, I can only really think of two, but there might have been more than that. But there were at least two where I said, I don't really get this needle drop at all. But there were also a couple needle drops that I thought were really good. And then as far as the score goes, look, if you guys don't know, Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite composers of all time. I think he is incredible. I think for a long while, he was the best composer working, even though that's kind of a hot take. Not amongst the casual moviegoer, but amongst people that really love movies and really love original scores and movies, things like that. Hans Zimmer has not gotten a ton of recognition from the Academy, and it's because people feel that his music is repetitive or that he tries too hard to make stuff epic and cool. And therefore, his scores don't complement movies. They amplify them, which to me, I like that. But to other people, they say, well... He's not really making scores for dramatic movies that are capturing the emotion of every scene. He's doing scores for these big action movies largely, and his scores work best for the big, awesome, epic scenes. And sure, that's partially true, but I don't think there was anybody better than him at it at the point in time that he was in his prime. But I think he's at the point now where the last couple scores I've heard from him have been pretty good, but they haven't been amazing. They haven't been groundbreaking. And the fact is he's kind of old. He's been doing it for a really long time. A lot of his motifs he's used a good amount of times. And so I think he doesn't have the creative capacity anymore to give something amazing. I think he's capable of giving very good scores, but in the case of this movie, I think it's just a good score. I don't think it's a great score. And that's how I would say the movie is too, where I think it's a good movie. I do not think it is a great movie. If I were to compare this to anything, I would say this is this year's The Batman for me. Not that they're similar stories at all or anything like that, but just that The Batman was one that I thought would be amazing. It looked so great. And I thought very highly of the director of The Batman. I liked the cast of the movie. And then the reviews came out and they were overwhelmingly positive. And I said, oh boy, this is about to be amazing. And then I saw the movie and I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was good. And so it was kind of a letdown for me. And then on rewatch, I still think it's only pretty good. I don't think it's great. I'm glad other people think it's great, but for me, it was not. 
And part of it was that I thought it was a very good director who was trying to make somebody else's movie in a way, where he was trying to make a David Fincher-esque movie. And in this case with Gareth Edwards, I think that he's a good director and he was making a movie kind of like a Neil Blomkamp movie, oddly enough. And there are other people that have made similar movies like Ridley Scott, of course, with Blade Runner or Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. But I would say that District 9, Blade Runner 2049, Blade Runner are all better than this movie at what they are. And so I kind of just walked away saying, yeah, this felt kind of like these other movies, but I think these other movies did it better. Like the Batman, sure, this feels a little bit like it's trying to be Seven or Zodiac, but I think Seven and Zodiac do it a lot better. But anyway, I still enjoyed the movie. I think if you're somebody that's curious about the movie, that it's definitely worth seeing and it's probably worth seeing on the big screen. My disappointment was just that this ended up being a good movie and I was really hoping for and praying for a great movie and some people will think it's great. For me, it was just good. I've just seen movies do similar stuff and I've seen them do it better and for that reason, I can't say that I love this movie. But anyway, that is The Creator, directed by Gareth Edwards. It is now in theaters everywhere, and that's going to be a wrap for me today. So if you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are listening on right now, and also give it a follow on Instagram. You can find it under the username at vitamin C pod. There you will find updates both on this podcast and on the movie business in general. Next time you hear from me, I will be starting up talking all about Halloween movies. So you'll be able to hear more about that as it approaches because I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about each week necessarily. But stay tuned, especially if you love slasher movies, because I will be talking about a lot of slasher movies this month. Anyway, I appreciate you guys tuning in. You will hear from me later this week.